So it's a cold winter's night. Sounds terrible. Yeah, in Canberra, it bloody well is. It's horrible. It's horrible. I've just finished doing some fabulous show in a theatre somewhere in Canberra, and I step out of the theatre and I go, gee, you know, I would stick around and have a drink, but I've got to get to the secret policeman's ball. Secret policeman's? ASIO used to have an annual dinner dance. Really? Yeah, seriously. There was one year where about four or five intelligence officers put a band together. And I remember walking in because I never got to go to the dinner dance and sit down for dinner. I always showed up late because I was always doing a show at night. Yes. So I showed up one night and there's this band, this really sad band. Mm. And longtime friend of the podcast, an ex-officer who listens, basically walked up to me, put his arm around my shoulder and went, you wait till they start playing Spanish Flea. And I was just like, what, what merry hell is this? Yeah. But the funny thing was, as soon as they started playing, the dance floor was chockers. Oh. Right. Even though the music was bad, everyone got up to dance. And I suddenly realised, this is a little tribe. And all of these people are having this wonderful communal moment where they're dancing and enjoying some terrible, terrible music after some very average sort of food in a very average club. And the weird thing that struck me is it's like, why am I not dancing other than the fact that I have taste? And I realised I'm not really 100% a part of this tribe. No. But this was the thing that started thinking about it because uh, after Senate Estimates last week, I started thinking about radicalisation. Oh, of course that's where you go. Of course, this is where yeah. I go. But this is what sprung to mind because mm. there's a lovely thing about how dancing and radicalisation are kind of interlinked. You're listening to I Spied, the radicalised teen of Australian intelligence. I hate your music and I'm not going to dance to it. Dance, monkey, dance. I'm not going to dance, okay. Hello and welcome to I Spied. My name's Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan and... I want to be called Dancing Dave Callan from now on. <laughs> I'm here with Dancing Dave and this week we're going to talk radicalisation. How do you build a terrorist? How do you make an extremist? <laughs> Where do they come from? Why do they become who they are? Well, I think they are lacking a sense of self. Well, that's really important. That yep. lack, of, lack of sense of self yep. is very important. And not only that, it's isolation. That lack of sense of self, you know, you can have a lack of sense of self, but if you have people around you that are supportive and nice, you can still maintain yourself as a functioning member of that group. Yeah. What happens when you're completely isolated? Suddenly, you're going to go looking for someone who's going to help. And funnily enough, out in the terrorist and extremist world, there are people that are looking for you. Yes, 100%. They like incels are big on this. They, oh, yeah. They it's- are searching for like minded, prepubescent. You know, well, well, men just- normally who don't get dates or never yep. have had sex. And yep. so they're blaming the female world. They blame the female world. The yep. same way that radical Islam, these are young men who are not satisfied with the world they're in. They're being yep. picked on and they're looking for someone that is going to give them a sense of purpose. Yep. It all comes down to a thing they call the sacred. What okay. is sacred in your life? What is sacred? Yeah, what is sacred? So you're a fairly well-rounded, very, very fun- high-functioning person, member of society. Oh, high-functioning, yep. You're high-functioning. Yep. You're uh, very charismatic. Yep. You've got a very stable life. Yep. You're, you're married. You have a child. Yep. You're all these different things. So what is sacred to you? 
A good time. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go to the Asia dinner dance, would, man. They rock. It would definitely be my son. Your son, right? Yep. Now, that's an interesting thing. A lot of people would immediately go, I would, you know, I would sacrifice my life for my child. Yes. That's very normal. Yeah. Right? But this is the thing. When we're in our little tribes, we will make that sacrifice. There's a very interesting study where they look at soldiers in combat. Mm. And the whole thing is, why do men charge machine gun nests? Because they realise that even if they're destroyed in that action... The, someone will see where they're coming from and they can shoot them. Not, no, 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 no. no. Okay. We're, we're getting into the psychology of this. Okay. If I am killed charging up the hill, I live on in the men that follow me. Yes. Right? You become... It's what's called fused. Yeah. You become fused with the people around you. So that's why when they recruit soldiers, they don't recruit 40-year-olds. We're already pretty much fused into our group already. Yeah. But you can't – this is not to say you can't radicalise somebody of an older age, but it's easier because, you know, you've got a more of a morphous mindset when you're younger. So the whole idea is you want to grab these people who are feeling isolated and also disenfranchised and then you want to mould them into your little world. Yeah, kind of like the Catholic Church. Right. Now, a great example of they, – they had a great test to work out how easy it would be to radicalise someone mm-hmm. and it was called Cyberball. Okay. And it's a game where you had three people standing there throwing a ball to each other. Mm-hmm. But two of them are told, don't throw the ball to him. Start throwing the ball to each other and then knock that one person out. And what's really strange, the guy who came up the test, he actually, he said he came up with it when he was in a park Mm -hmm. and two guys were throwing a Frisbee. He was sitting there on a blanket with his dog and two blokes were throwing a Frisbee and one of them threw it and it went wrong and it landed at his feet. And he got up and he threw the Frisbee to them and one of them threw it back and then he threw it back to them and they threw it back to him and then they stopped throwing it to him. And they just kept throwing it to each other. And he said he felt this rage build up because he's been rejected. Right. right? So this is a thing. We're looking for people who have been rejected from a society. Yeah. And then what we do is we grab a hold of them. Now, and there's- probably bullied as well. Yep. Trauma is always a big yep. thing, part of it. Now, what we do is how do we then find these people? Uh, the internet. Ah, there is the internet. There was a really interesting thing. Spain had a huge influx of Moroccan immigrants. There were yep. a lot of people coming across from Morocco. And Al-Qaeda, what they were doing is they were actually going around to football clubs and mm. basically radicalising entire football teams. Yeah, or, re- or religious, like any kind of churches. Yep. Church is a big one. Well, church is an interesting one. I'm going to tell you there's another interesting point that comes in and it came from something I saw in the street and I had to think about it and then I found this article about it. But we'll get to that in a minute. So basically what you're doing is you're finding an isolated soul Mm. and then what you're doing is you're then feeding in an idea of how to fix something. You're giving them a new sacred. Yeah. Now that new sacred may be that vaccinations are killing your children. Or turning your, you know, giving your children ADHD or turning, making them autistic. That sacred may be that Allah is great. That sacred may be that all immigrants need to be killed. So there's all of these various things. The fascinating thing about it is across the spectrum, from radical Islam to right wing extremism and everything in between. Yep. The basic steps are exactly the same. They're all the same. They're all the same. But the brainwashing, as they call it brainwashing, it's not so much brainwashing as it is conditioning. There's Mm. a very different – It's as opposed to washing your hair, you're conditioning it. Mm. Here's the thing. What they do – it was a great example, as I was saying, there was a guy on the train recently who started preaching. 
He started proselytizing and a lot of people were telling him to shut up and a lot of people were rejecting him and I thought, I just don't want to be involved and went to the next carriage Mm. but sat there looking at this guy through the doors and he was copying abuse. No one wanted to hear what he had to say. Now, the interesting thing about that is that's actually a technique that an organisation uses not to bring in new recruits but to solidify their grip on that person. Right. Right. So what you do is you turn around to this guy, he joins your little church group and you say, you know what you need to do? You need to go and take the word of God to the streets. You need to go and stand in the streets and tell people and don't let them tell you that you're wrong. So this guy starts shouting in the streets. Everyone mm-hmm. rejects him. He goes back to the church and went, everyone was so awful to me. And that's why, because we're your friends. Yeah. They're not your friends. We're your friends. They're the bad guys. We're the good guys. Stick with us and we'll help you. But don't forget to keep going out there and try to, push forward the word of God. Now, that's going on the internet. That's happening everywhere. What it does is, A, it builds up the isolation. Mm. B, it helps fuse them into the group. And C, it builds the frustration that you can use as an extremist act. Yep. So we've now built our little guy, our little terrorist or Mm -hmm. our little extremist. How do we then break him back? What do you mean break him back? How do we get him out? How do we de-radicalise him? You have to give him love and acceptance and tell him that the world isn't as bad as he thinks it is. Pretty much. But here's the thing. Uh, It's really hard to do it once he's radicalised. Right. So there's two ways of doing it. You've got reactive and proactive. Proactive is you know that somebody is being radicalised. You need to get in there and counter-radicalise them. Yep. Because yes, de-radicalise and counter-radicalise. If we can counter-radicalise, if we can turn around and turn this person, like, hey, I know that sounds attractive, but have you also thought of this? Yep. Right? Maybe people don't want you to stand on a train and shout at them about God because it makes them uncomfortable. But they need to learn the word of God. Well, why not talk to them individually? Yeah. Take your time. So there's that sort of effect. But what they're finding with de-radicalisation mm. is it's really freaking hard because you're essentially asking to take an idea out of someone's brain, Yep. which is damn near impossible. So what they have to do is they literally – there is de-radicalisation and then there is what they call disconnection. Now, disconnection, there's a really, really interesting story about a right-wing kid. He was 14 years old, brought up in an immigrant family, mm. loving mother and father, everything's fine. And this is, again, how it doesn't matter. Your background isn't really important. This guy was growing up in a very loving family. The Mm. only problem was his parents were running a business and they were doing like 12, 14, 16 hours a day at work and he never saw them. He felt rejected. Yeah. So to change that, he started acting out. He started playing around, you know, minor crimes and smoking drugs, all that sort of stuff. And he tells the story about how he was standing in an alley smoking a joint and a skinhead, this huge skinhead, walked up to him, pulled the joint out of his mouth, threw it on the ground and said, that's what the communists and the Jews want you to do. They want you to be docile. From that point, he said, this guy actually cares about me. Yeah. So the whole idea- Giving him boundaries. Giving Well, gave him boundaries, but the boundaries were really bad boundaries. Mm. So the whole idea with de-radicalization, as with radicalization, is this guy being radicalized got a mentor. Yeah. He had someone come into his life who actually said, I care enough to stop you from doing this. It's kind of like women in domestic violence situations. Yeah. They're radicalised by the partners yes. to believe that they're worthless and that this is the only person that loves them. Yes. And so that's why they can never leave the situations. Exactly. Now, the difference with that between the domestic violence where I make you worthless, mm. he actually gave him worth. 
Right. He turned around and said, you're better than this and you know what, you're a victim of these people and you need to fight them. But so, is that a whole idea where they're separating them from their group? Yeah, you start – Yeah. paired out from the group. He wound up being a white supremacist musician. Okay. Okay. Right, so white supremacist musician, he's having all of this hardcore heavy metal, opened a record store and was selling, like importing extremist rock from yep. Europe and he was the only shop in America that could sell it. So he had all of these extremists coming in but because he didn't want to be the white supremacist music store, he realised he had to sell some other stuff otherwise his landlord was going to kick him out. So he started selling alternative stuff, punk and, and mm. a bit of hip-hop and, you know, ska, things like that. What happens is he suddenly starts getting in contact with the people that are fans of these other musics. Mm. Right now, he's been involved in some seriously bad stuff. Yep. The one thing that he talks about is the hypocrisy in that white supremacists saying the drugs are going to kill you, let's sell drugs. Yep. They were using it to fund themselves. Yep. So what he did, he finally had a kid walk into his shop and he was very upset, a black kid. Walked into his shop and he said, what's wrong? And the kid said, oh, my parents are never around. And, he, and my mother's, you know, been you know, diagnosed with breast cancer and I don't know what we're going to do with my life. And he had this moment of contact with this kid and he became a mentor to this child. Yep. And then he suddenly realised, why am I doing this? Why am I so angry? What's my problem? And he disconnected. He literally, he grew to a point where his brain went, I don't need this anymore. Yep. This isn't assisting. But when it comes to de-radicalising someone who's younger, the first thing you need is a mentor. Yep. They need a human being. There is pieces like Google, the big search engines, YouTube, things like that. They're actually working on algorithms to redirect people that search for radicalizing. Well, YouTube has already done it, right? Because YouTube copped a lot of heat for people. The way the algorithm was set up was that when you watch certain things, there it feeds you more of the same thing, so yeah. you don't get the counterbalance to that perspective. So they've corrected that. So they've had to correct. Well, they had to correct it because yeah. what was happening was people were getting funneled into like these crazy. Places Places where right-wing extremism by watching one thing yeah. that just kept feeding it into itself. I mean, put de-radicalization into your search engine on YouTube and the list is just endless, mm. but then it starts spinning you off in different directions. Yep. The interesting thing about it is with that, even though they're trying to de-radicalize online by changing the algorithm, mm. it still doesn't work 100% because yep. you need the human contact. So the whole thing is you find a radicalized and Generally, they're young. Though, interestingly enough, because of COVID, because of the isolation we were all subjected to under COVID, there's been a lot of radicalization of older yep. generations. Now, yeah, that's the whole thing is you'd see those protests out in, in Melbourne and you'd be looking at people that you'd think, come on, you, you've got to be rational here. Yeah, but you know what? Like even something like my mum who's turning 80 this year and yep. we gave her an iPad a few years ago and she was like, oh, I don't know about an iPad. And all of a sudden she's on Facebook and then the shit she's talking about and then the shit she's sharing because she believes everything that's put on Facebook is actually correct. Yeah. And it's a kind of a form of radicalization. And then yeah. I see her sisters and then my whole family is sharing this nonsense, which just isn't even factually correct. Yeah. But it's because... They sit at home alone, they're elderly, and it's their touch point of connection. Exactly. That's happened in my family as well. There have been certain members mm. of my family that have gone, well, I think this is really important. And as I always say, every time someone sends me something, I'm going, this is really Just Google important. it. Just Google it. <laughs> check the source. Where's it coming from? I know. Right now, but 
people, when they get into the echo chamber, they don't want to check the source. No, no, no. They just want to sit there and, like, perpetuate this bullshit that they're being fed. Exactly. Right. So we have this virtual perpetual engine that's basically stirring it and stirring it yeah. and stirring it and dragging more and more people in. So the whole we have that whole idea of we can control the internet, but we can't control individual people. Yep. Here it comes down to dancing. There was a psychologist who did a book called Dancing in the Streets and yep. basically she looks at how David Bowie released a classic. Oh, David yeah. Bowie and, and Mick Jagger. <laughs> yeah. Basically, if we just play that on a loop forever. We'd be safe. We'd all be safe. Yeah. Everyone would go, I'm just going to dance in the street. Yeah. But the whole thing was, if you go back through every culture, pretty much mm. since we climbed down from the trees, and this was the thing when the British and the Spanish and the French all went out and colonised the, the world, every time they arrived somewhere, mm. they would find people dancing. Yeah. It wasn't like, like they'd arrive on the shore and everyone would be like, going, yeah, let's rock it out. It's like... The tradition was the community would gather, there would be a fire and everyone would dance around the fire. Yep. Now, when you look at us now, like when we went through this long period uh, where our society changed dramatically, about over about 200 years, our society has changed dramatically. Yep. Right? Technology has made us more isolated, more insular, more self-directed. Yep. Um, and because of that, we don't dance in the streets as mm. much. Now, the great thing is we do have, I mean, when was the last time you went to a concert? I don't know when the last time I went to a concert. I mean, yeah. I usually do. I mean, usually I'm a big concert person yeah. and I love doing a music festival. Oh, so really? every, every year I do Splendour. Yep. Love it. Yep. So Big shout out to Splendour out there. Big shout out to Splendour in the grass. Um, so I, I quite often dance. See, I don't. Um, I'm not a dancing kind of guy. But, see, but see, I will quite often put music on in my house and dance. Oh, I do that. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, I dance. But I'm just and, not dancing with anyone else. But I remember <laughs> I went to, and it's still to this day is the very best concert I've ever been to, which was The Specials. Oh, my God. Uh, the, well, I don't even know who that is. Oh, my God, you don't know The Specials? No, I'm sure most people don't know who Oh, they is. do. They, look, The Specials were a classic ska band that started during the sort of punk okay. um, yep. revolution it's in the 70s. You sound really old now. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. We've yep. established that I'm yeah, an old yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. But... I got tickets, an Access All Areas ticket to the Enmore Theatre to mm. see the specials. So, by the way, anybody, Enmore Theatre, best theatre in the world. Well, no, and it's, be re, it's been redone, so I'm, it's so I'm great. doing it's a show there better. very soon and I'm really excited to okay. walk out on that stage. Right, anyway. Side note. So, side note. <laughs> um, so, anyway, yep. the specials come on stage and I'm standing there and I just walked in with my ticket and I'm at the front. Yeah. And I'm like, this is great. And the next thing is. There's a mosh pit. As, yeah. Yep. Well, I didn't. I, I see. I was in my forties then, and I was like, oh "And you didn't God. know that a mosh pit was about to break out." I'd forgotten that mosh pits okay. existed. Okay. And anyway, I'm standing there. You had then- strong boomer energy even 20 <laughs> years ago, didn't you? Okay. Anyway, the lights go down, and my feet come off the floor as everyone presses around, and my yep. attitude was like, "Oh my God, these kids! How these yeah. kids? They don't what? How irresponsible!" <laughs> and then the lights came on. The specials came out. And I looked around and I was pretty much one of the youngest people in the mosh pit. Oh, really? It was a boomer mosh pit. Because the specials, no one knows who they are. But yeah, yes. but we did. Okay. We did. And we the thing did. was- it, My tribe. It went- It was. It was my yeah. tribe. It went off, right? Yeah. There was no animosity. There's no anger. It was like- yeah. And I remember calling the owner of the Anmore the next day to go, mate, thanks for that ticket. That's the best concert I've ever been. Yeah, that's the best. And, and he anyway. said, who is this? <laughs> Don't call me again. Lose this number. Yeah, new phone. Who dis? Yeah. Um, Anyway, he said, 
oh, wow, did you go backstage and talk to the band? To which I went, no, because that would be highly embarrassing. That would look like nothing worse than a 45-year-old fanboy. And he went, no, because the band said that was the best concert they've ever seen, they've ever done. Right. It, and it was like, my God, it was in this moment, great moment. But the fact that there was this free and you know expressive joy. Mm. Now, this woman says that over time, because of what's happened with our society, we've repressed that urge. Yeah, to and because of that, dance. we don't because we've repressed that urge. There are a lot of people that are then isolated because you know what? When you're dancing, you don't really care who's around yeah. you. Yeah, and I think the pandemic has definitely not helped. It's definitely not helped at all. Yeah. So the whole idea is basically to radicalize someone. You're looking for someone who's isolated. Yep. Someone who's got a beef. That's yep. got to be a really important thing. And then you can then if you've got someone who's isolated, they're marginalized. Maybe they've suffered trauma. It doesn't always have to happen. But what you do is you inject what we call the sacred. But you know what I think is a massive problem and probably particularly why now we're seeing more and more people be radicalised? I think collectively, especially as a country, as Australians, we haven't had a common fight. Everyone is living their lives in relative comfort. People have roofs over their head. We haven't gone to war. We don't have a collective beef with another country. Mm -hmm. We've never been through hardship together, whereas my mum's generation did and her parents' generation did. Mm -hmm. And so I think now people just sit there and they've got no collective fight in them. And so they're just taking that internalization into something else. Ding. Absolutely on the money. Because this is the other thing that happens. We've got the dancing. That's all really good. But if you go back through, like, and this is like his, like back into ancient history, yeah, where our society is very individualistic at the moment. Yeah, it is. The whole thing is we have been literally as a species brought up as a tribal animal. Yeah. So, and it's that idea that we have individual decision and individual development, but the development of the group and the decision of the group. That also has paid a heavy price on who survives and who doesn't. Yes. If you're in the good group that wins, yeah, of course. your gene pool keeps going. Yeah. So that philosophy of that group works. So the whole idea is at the moment we've got this splintered society mm. and within this splintered society we have people who are desperate for a tribe. 100%. So desperate that they will take on any cause if it sounds just and then we get to that point where, well, if I die for this cause, the cause is the memory for me. Yeah. It, it continues my memory really long. And classic is the trust in democracy, a yeah. dem- democratic system is falling apart. Well, it's falling apart because, once again, we've had people who were allowed to espouse ideas without being challenged. Yes. And then those ideas just kind of snowballed into people believing that they were fact, when Mm -hmm. in actuality, if you did a fact check on anything a lot of these people say, even our own current government, if you do a fact check on anything that they say, you'll find inconsistencies. Well, you can literally find inconsistencies from one minute to the next. Yeah, 100%. But that's, I mean, that's not just our government, that's governments across the planet. Oh, it's 100% it is. But right-wing governments are now becoming more prevalent because people are believing in these charismatic people. And that's the reason why Hitler did incredibly well. He came in to Germany at a time when everyone was impoverished and they were paying back debt that they'd accrued from mm-hmm. uh, comp- from participating in World War One. And then, you know, Hitler said, we don't need to do this. We don't need to be paying this money back. And so people started believing him and he was very charismatic and he made people do incredibly bad things to the Jewish population that they probably would not normally do. The Jewish population, the Romanies, they became the other. But that's another little facet in the radicalisation process is the rule of law. 
We're a very law-abiding city. I mean, when you get a speeding fine, do you go, I'm not paying it? I try to not pay. I always take it to court. Yep. I always take everything to court. And do you win? <laughs> Never. Right. Yeah. So you take it to court. Well, I try to get some lean and leniency. Yep. yep. We've all done that. Yeah. You take it to court. Nothing happens. You still pay the fine, yeah? Oh, and then I end up getting slugged with like this other fee on top of it, which is like some victim's retribution thing, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, anyway. that parking spot that you stayed in for too long wants no, it needs compensation. It's because once you take it to court, then you have to pay a victim's gotta, retribution fee anyway. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you've got to pay fees. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. Mm. That is not normal for our species. Our yeah. species should be like, yes, we will follow the rules of the tribe. But our tribe is now massive. Yeah. Right. So for Hitler to turn around and go, we're not paying that money back. That was literally his tribe of Germany, him taking the tribe of Germany and going, no, it's our rules now. We're yeah. not going to follow the global yeah. rules. And because of globalization, everything's becoming homogenized. Everything's becoming we're way more connected. Brexit worked because the story behind Brexit is why do we have our laws set by Belgium? By yeah. Brussels. Donald Trump's thing was, well, why are we getting a bad deal with trade overseas? Why are we letting these immigrants in? Everything's, you know, they yeah. took our jobs, to quote South Park. Yeah. The whole idea is these people find a populist message and then they start to... Uh, Even now the Republicans are espousing this idea that they're having so many immigrants coming in when the in actuality, and the Democrats can prove this, yep. that isn't the case. Yeah. But they go down to the wall in Mexico and they stand there and they're like, look at all these people coming over. There's no one, but so we've got we've got a society that literally feeds this radicalization. Yes. We didn't have it before because no. we had smaller units, smaller tribes. Yeah. So essentially, and here's another thing, and this is for every mum and dad out there. Yeah, if you have a teenager, keep them off the internet. No, don't keep them off the internet <laughs> because God damn it, the internet's awesome. It I is good, really but like you have to be really strict on it. Pay attention to yep. them. Spend time with them. My father was away a lot when I was yeah. growing up because he was in the Navy. Yeah, but you know what? Like, in all honesty, yeah. I grew up in a single-parent household. My mum worked the whole time. Yep. I wasn't radicalised. No. same. Unless Look, you include Sesame Street. Elmo is a terrorist. I mean, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but if you're a dad, knock on your son's door or yep. daughter's door and ask them how they are. You know, ask them what they're doing. You know, engage with them. Take them to the park. Here's a radical idea. You really, 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 really just want to spend a bit of time with your kids? Put some music on. Have a dance. Have a dance. That's what I do with my kid. Yeah. It works. He's not going to turn into a terrorist if you dance with him. Sometimes it feels like he's a terrorist. Honestly, ladies and gentlemen, dance in the street. Dance in the street. Dance in the street.